If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 580. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page. Subscribe to my YouTube page. At Brian McClanahan. All those are at Brian McClanahan. B-R-I-O-N. McClanahan. If you want to get there without having to go directly to those sites, just go to brianmcclanahan.com, B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Give me an email address while you're there, though. You get a free ebook out of that. Forgotten Founders free audiobook, the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, purchase one or 20 classes or 10 classes, whatever you want to purchase, and you keep this podcast free of charge. You get great content. All those classes, I mean, look, there's only a couple that are that are short classes, about five lectures. Most of them are around 25 lectures or more, right? Many of them are more than that. So, and you get great stuff. So you get great lectures on U.S. history, the founding fathers, the Constitution. I mean, take your the war, Reconstruction. Uh, it's it's a lot of stuff, right? Presidents, Hamilton. You get a lot of great stuff. So go out there, get those classes. I can't say enough. That's what keeps this podcast free of charge. Also, you can click on the support tab if you want to, if that's how you want to keep this podcast free of charge. You can be a supporter. You can give me a little bit of money to do that. You can also buy my books. Go to anywhere books are sold online. My latest is The Jeffersonian Tradition, also Southern Scribblings, but many others too. So I appreciate when you buy those books. You can click on that shop tab. You can get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. I don't make a lot of money on that stuff, but it is a way to advertise a show, just as it's a way to advertise a show by clicking to uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, right? So when you subscribe to it, you help it out. When you rate it and you review it, you help it out. The more reviews, the better ratings, the better. People will find it that way. Also on the YouTube channel, leave comments, subscribe there. That's a great way to do it. I don't do the YouTube just for my health. I could just put a static image up. It'd be easier for me to produce the show that way. Just put a static image up on YouTube and just leave the audio file. But I get in front of the camera just for you so that people will go out there and watch this show and be more engaged with it. Uh, Also, share it around on social media. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. That's how we grow the show. And we're wrapping up the week with another listener-generated episode. Somebody emailed me about this and said, Hey, will you talk about this? This is something that is confusing to me. And um, this is a nice point to make. If you find something that you think is interesting, you think would be a good podcast topic, let me know. I thought this one was a good podcast topic. So I want to talk about it. There's a historian on Twitter. He's one of these Twitter historians that I excoriate so much. Um, His name is Seth Kotler. He teaches at uh, Willamette University, which is in Oregon. And on February 3rd, he quote tweeted uh, a tweet from Lauren uh, Boebert, who is, uh, of course, Representative Boebert from Colorado. She said, the Constitution is not evolving to say that spits in the face of every single one of our founders. Well, to Seth Kotler, that was sacrilegious. Because, you see, he then quotes 
Thomas Jefferson, who wrote on September 6, 1789, quote, Every constitution naturally expires at the end of 19 years. If it be enforced longer, it is an act of force and not of right. Now, this is cherry-picking to the highest order by Seth Kotler. Now, he explains, he goes on to quote Peter Onuf. Now, friend and colleague Kevin Goodsman uh, worked with Peter Onuf at the University of Jefferson. Uh, University of Jefferson. It was University of Virginia, which is University of Jefferson, right? University of Virginia. And Onuf, uh, he has a much more... Um, kind vision of Onuf than I have. I don't think Onuf is very good, but regardless, he likes Onuf. He thinks Onuf is not anti-Jefferson or he just is, you know, he's not necessarily buying into the cult of Jefferson. But Onuf has done much to bring down the Dumas Malone view of Jefferson. Now, I will say this, Kevin Goodsman writes stuff that is highly critical of what Peter Onuf thinks, right? And this is where he said Onuf is a pro, that Onuf will, uh, I mean, he's he's certainly uh, not going to disown Goodsman because he does this. But I, I don't know if, you know, uh, if Onuf would write a glowing letter, letter of recommendation to have someone like Kevin Goodsman somewhere uh, to teach that would be the exact opposite of what Onuf would do. So I want to get into this. He says, for more on Jefferson's anti-originalism via Peter O'Neill's insightful analysis of the subject. So I want to get into that particular thread. Uh, this was published in June of 2021, and he quotes O'Neill. Now, this is where I don't think Seth Kotler understands originalism. I don't think he really knows what it means, because originalism... Originalism is the fact that you have uh, you you adhere to the Constitution as ratified at the time, and Jefferson did believe it. So there's a, there's a segue to this, and that uh, Kotler would say, "Well, then the conservatives will come out and say that you got to amend it, and if you don't amend it, then everything is legal." This is true, right? In fact, Jefferson actually believed in that exact same position. There's nothing different about that than what Jefferson would have said. And I'll explain that in the history here in a second. So Kotler, who is a self-proclaimed expert on the American right, who's writing a book about the long history of the U.S. right, the illiberal U.S. right. Well, okay, that's not a bad thing. He says, I'm not sure enough contemporary conservatives recognize that their strict constructionist hero, Thomas Jefferson, was not an originalist. Don't take my word for it. Here is a passage from Peter O'Neill's great book, Jefferson and the Virginias, two, Virginians, 2018, page 31. Quote, as self... First of all, let me say this before I read this. Seth Kotler is the problem with Twitter. These long Twitter threads are just stupid. Anyone who Twitter threads, where you have just thread after thread after thread of all these long things, that's not what Twitter is for. Twitter is there for the snark. Twitter is there for the slaps. Twitter is there for the fun. If you want to do this stuff, go to Facebook. Or if you want to do this stuff, write it on your blog. He has a blog that he hasn't posted on in like over a year. Why? Because nobody probably reads the nonsense. He's got 46,000 followers on Twitter, so this is where he thinks he's going to make the most impact. He's got 46,000 people in an echo chamber that all agree with him. You go and look at the threads and all the comments. It's all, oh, Seth Kotler, you're so great. You're so great. Nobody ever goes on there and and says anything otherwise, 
And I'm sure if you do, he's probably going to block you because that's what these uh, little thin-skinned lefties do. So this is Anouf's quote. As self-governing Americans became more enlightened, as new discoveries were made, new truths disclosed, I'm sorry, and manners and opinions change with the change of circumstances, institutions must advance also and keep pace with the times. That's what Jefferson said. He likened the progress of the human mind to a boy's growth to manhood. Constitutions were like coats, good for a season, but constantly in need of repair. Might as well require a man to wear the coat which fitted him with when a boy as civilized society to remain ever under the regimen of their barbarous ancestors. So, I mean, this is where Anouf is saying, well, Jefferson really wasn't in favor of keeping a static constitution. Okay. That doesn't mean he's not an originalist. That just means he would want it amended. And maybe something else. I mean, Jefferson also thought the ball of liberty would roll around the globe and maybe you'd have separate confederacies and you would do different things and you would have this old this old uh, republic, federal republic, and then a new federal republic. I mean, Jefferson was always uh, in his mind. You know, He was always thinking about things. He was a thinker. But did that mean that he didn't believe in originalism? No. In fact, federalism was his core governing principle, as Kevin Goodsman has pointed out in his great book, on Thomas Jefferson. Anouf argues that Jefferson was a strict constructionist in his lifetime, not because he thought the Constitution was a timeless work of demigods, well, that's true, but because he thought it had been authorized by the people of that era through their constitutional ratification conventions. That's also true. But that makes him an originalist. That makes him the strict definition of originalism. He's going to support the Constitution that was ratified by the people of the states. And that's the Constitution we should adhere. Because you know what? Unless it's been amended, which it has, right? So then we have to look at the original meaning of those amendments. This is, take, for example, the 14th Amendment. If we get to the 14th Amendment, we start looking at originalism of that amendment. It's not what the left or even the neoconservatives say it is. It's not that. It's something else. So we should go with that. If you want something else, then amend amend the Constitution again. So then Kotler, then he gets into his little soapbox here. He says, uh, uh, 20th century originalism or founder fetishism emerged in opposition to the New Deal. Modern constitutionalists use the 18th century Constitution to justify their opposition to the widely popular as measured by elections New Deal programs instituted in the 1930s and 40s. But were they even constitutional? I would say that Franklin Roosevelt knew they weren't. Franklin Roosevelt knew they weren't legal. He knew they weren't constitutional. He knew it. It's why he said in his inaugural address, if Congress won't act, then I'm going to become a dictator and do it. And the Constitution is kind of this thing that you can kind of... It's not going to violate the Constitution necessarily, although we can find some wiggle room here to make all this stuff work. Ridiculous. That's not how the Constitution worked. Now, it, it's how, I guess, it would work if you are someone who believes in loose construction, and we have that argument even in the founding generation. But the strict constructionist Jefferson was saying that, hey, if we don't amend the Constitution, we're violating the Constitution. He continues on his little soapbox, and then he says some pretty funny things. The irony is that Jefferson was one of the more democratically inclined of the founders. His constricted vision of who counted as the people we now see as barbarous, but TJ would have been appalled by the anti-democratic ends to which strict construction is put today. How do we know that? We don't know that at all. 
because in his lifetime he certainly believed in federalism. Is the it, would he have would he have agreed with the massive takeover of essentially the entire American economy by the central government? A fusion of banking and finance. Would he have agreed with that? Probably not. We don't know because he's not alive. But would he have agreed with it? I don't think so. No one would, the other Republicans, the other Jeffersonians wouldn't have either. And then he says this, modern-day originalists more, much more closely resemble the Confederate nullifiers of the mid-19th century than to the, they do the 18th century founders that they claim to admire and channel. For what it's worth, those Confederate nullifiers entered into the Civil War fully convinced that they were the ones who most accurately understood the intent of the founders, and they were the fending off tyrannical modern innovations in the American system of constitutional governments. Well, this is true. I mean, they wrote a whole entirely new constitution based on their understanding of what the constitution was, which, by the way, was much more accurate than what people realize. If you go back and look at Eliot's debates and the, and the massive documentary history of the ratification of the constitution, they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong about what they were saying. All this material was out there. I don't know if Seth Kotler has ever really read this stuff. He might have read Peter O'Neill, but I don't know if he's ever really read these things. Wrote a book on Tom Paine, so now he thinks he's a man of the founding, understands the founding. Has he ever read all of Eliot's debates and all the state ratification conventions? Has he ever read the massive documentary history of the ratification of the Constitution, which, I mean, even if you just go the, to, the, uh, to the volumes on the public documents, there's a lot there. Hey, I've got a class on that, too, at McClanahan Academy. It's called The Originalist Papers, and I will be putting out, hopefully this year, that in book form, because it will change the narrative, right? It's going to change the narrative. The final irony, of course, is that the originalist anti-federal government radicals of today have taken over the party of Lincoln, party that came into existence in the 1850s precisely to defeat the racist... Well, wait. Um, I guess he missed it that Lincoln was a racist. I don't know. Did he miss that? Or how about, <laughs> how about all the Republicans that wanted to keep the West open for free white labor? That's pretty racist. So see, this is where Seth Kotler is just a dummy. He's a dope, right? This is an establishment dope. Pseudo-originalist, anti-federal government radicalism of his day. It wasn't anti-federal government. In fact, the argument was... Now, if you follow some of the leftists, the argument was that the federal government... Uh, the North was being anti-federal government because they weren't enforcing the fugitive slave law. That was one of the big things. And they weren't abiding by a Supreme Court decision. Right? So who is really the anti-federal government in this situation? Is it the North or is it the South? The South believed in the real federal government. This is what they said. They believed in the federal government as founded. They believed in the original union. They believed in the compact. They believed in all of that, but the North kept violating it. They were the ones violating the federal government, not them. The contemporary is GOP's use of the most, an most anti-democratic dimensions of the 18th century constitution, the SCOTUS, Electoral College, and Senate, to thwart the will of popular national majorities might be an effective political strategy, but it's not Jeffersonian originalism. Um... Well, Jefferson was against the SCOTUS, uh, but who made this? Who made judicial supremacy? Was that Jefferson? N no, uh, I mean that's true. That's not Jefferson originalism. Uh, the Electoral College, Jefferson was fine with that. He was also fine with the Senate because the Senate represented the states. In fact, everyone knew that the Senate was 
uh, the important part of this. Jefferson and all the Republicans recognized the Senate as being the way that you had a state participation in the system. So let me go back to the original thread uh, because he says a couple other really stupid things. Uh, he, he said, you can disagree or disagree with TJ's take on the Constitution. Uh, James Madison sure didn't buy it in its entirety in 1789, but anyone who knows anything about the founding era would know that it's not spitting in the face of the founders to talk about constitutions evolving. For folks pointing out that the Constitution was designed to have amendments, a smarter version of Bobert would have, to, would have an answer to that. They'd say, yes, amendments are fine. If you want to do something new, get an amendment passed. Anything else is unconstitutional. This is true. But he said, this is where strict constructionism fades into radical anti-government nullification territory. They'll basically say any power the federal government has accrued through non-amendment means is illegitimate. It's totally nuts, but the logic works if you want to believe it. Now, this, isn't, this is actually true, right? Jefferson himself, when presented with a situation where he could have the Louisiana Purchase, said, I'm not so certain about this Louisiana Purchase. I think we need to have a situation where the Louisiana Purchase gets an amendment. And he started writing amendments to the effect. He was persuaded otherwise by members of his cabinet who said it wasn't necessary. But Jefferson himself thought we needed to amend the Constitution to ensure that we had the authority from the central government to purchase Louisiana. And other things too, right? He was concerned about central banking, Jefferson writing about the bank, Jefferson doing all he could. Now, Jefferson as president, second term, did some pretty unconstitutional things. I don't think you can argue otherwise. And Jefferson, in terms of the reality of office, thought, well, we've got a situation here where uh, maybe the realities of office are more important than the Constitution. This is the embargo. The quids themselves were rejecting Jefferson's interpretation of the economic power of the government at that point. But uh, Kotler is going way off the rails here and uh, proselytizing to his Twitter masses and saying some things that aren't necessarily accurate. It is true the New Deal is, is questionable constitutionally. People talked about it all the time. Uh, it was true that... Uh, the Woodrow Wilson program during World War I was questionable constitutionally. In fact, that was brought up. I don't think Kotler understands that there was always opposition to these things. The central banking system was brought up as unconstitutional. All of that, the Federal Reserve, all these things were questioned constitutionally. It wasn't just the creation of the New Deal. People were talking about this stuff before that. Heck, Grover Cleveland was talking about it. Hey, Grover Cleveland signs into law the Interstate Commerce Act, which is questionable constitutionally. Right? It is. And it was challenged as such. There were people talking about these things from a founding position even then. Even then, they were just in the minority. They didn't have the political clout to stop these things, but they certainly questioned them. I think this is where uh, Kotler is not understanding. If he's writing a book about the American right, you need to go back. You need to start looking at this stuff because it's there. And people were questioning these things all the way back then. It wasn't just. You know, well, the New Deal is unconstitutional, and so uh, we're going to uh, we're going to have a situation that we don't like the New Deal, and uh, so we're going to use we're going to come up with founder fetishism, and we're going to say the founding fathers would have been against it. I don't think even Hamilton would have agreed with the New Deal. Uh, Hamilton certainly would have been fine with the Federal Reserve. I mean, Hamilton would have been fine with some of the other things that were happening, but the New Deal that seizing that much power over the economy was something that I, you know, I'm not so certain anyone in the founding generation would have supported. 
Uh, and the Constitution had to get pretty elastic to do it. In fact, they had to read into the Commerce Clause to get any of this stuff. And that's not what the Commerce Clause was, entire, was, in, uh, was uh, set up to do. There's no question about it. Go back and look at the original debates. What did they say about these things? Well, if you, and, and this was brought up. Look, I, I agree that if the Constitution needs to be changed, then you change it through the amendment process, right? I mean, that's what you have to do. You can't do it otherwise. Uh, the Republicans tried to do it in the 1990s by giving President Clinton the line on a veto. That was rejected. That was that, Clearly, that was unconstitutional. You can't just give the president a line on a veto. But the Congress does a lot of unconstitutional things. So does the president. The Supreme Court shouldn't be the most powerful branch of government. Never was intended to be that. I would agree with Kotler that Jefferson wouldn't have agreed with that. Uh, and that, uh, But Jefferson would have been in line with the Senate being a break on things. Jefferson also would have been a strict constructionist when it came to federalism. He would have looked at a lot of the things that are happening in the central government and saying, these things are unconstitutional because they are in violation of federalism, which is what Gutzman gets into in his book, which is so good. He, it's the first chapter. Everyone ignores the, ignores the first chapter because it's not, it's not the modern establishment stuff that everybody wants to talk about, race and, and uh, religion and education with Jefferson. No, no. Federalism was the key to it all. It was the key to it all for Thomas Jefferson. If it, if it wasn't federalism, there's nothing. right? Even his letter to the Danbury Baptist says, look, I mean, you guys got to kind of deal with it here in, in Connecticut. okay? It, it, you got Connecticut. So we can't do a dang thing about it in Connecticut, so you got to try to change it there. Maybe one day this idea of you know, separation of church and state will make it into Danbury, Connecticut. Until then, you're going to deal with what you're going to deal with in Connecticut because we don't have a central policy on this. The First Amendment doesn't apply to Connecticut. And the Danbury Baptists knew it. The Danbury Baptists knew it. So uh, this is a nice little uh, opportunity for me to talk about this, uh, Jeffersonian originalism and federalism and these things. What does that actually mean? Well, I've done podcasts on what is originalism before. But I think that, uh, again, uh, Seth Kotler is a little bit mistaken about what, uh, what an originalism means. Uh, not a little bit, but a lot. What it means, uh, and he's he's speaking to uh, he, he's he's writing to the to his uh, forty six thousand Twitter followers. But at the end of the day, Jefferson would have been an originalist in terms of the way the founding generation thought about it. No, Newf was right, but Kotler doesn't even like that. He says, no, no, no. Uh, well, Jefferson. I mean, this has been taken beyond what Jefferson said because now we've moved beyond that, and you can't you don't have an elastic constitution. Well, Jefferson didn't think you had that. Because that's the Constitution that's ratified by the people of the states. We still have that Constitution. We haven't gone beyond that, except for the amendments. And so if you want to get to that point where we start talking about amendments now, okay, then we can look there. But there's nothing that's ever been amended to the Constitution that allows for the New Deal, for example, or allows for the Great Society. That's never been done. They're using the original language of the Constitution without the original intent to do what they want. That's the problem. This is where Seth Kotler doesn't get it. All right. So, hope you enjoyed this week at the Brian McClanahan Show. If you want a fifth podcast, go ahead and get the Abbeville Institute podcast. Go to abbevilleinstitute.org. I podcast there once a week. So, if you want that, go over there and get that one. Then you get me five times a week. If not, that's all things Southern. If you don't want that one, I'll see you next week on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. <laughs>